You're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is the Weekend Crouch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Holy moly, we have good weather, ladies and gentlemen. It is no more humidity, for the weekend at least. We have 79 degree weather. It is a little breezy. It's a little beautiful. I am not a weatherman, ladies and gentlemen, but I am very happy. There's no humidity in the air. Speedy Petey, what is up, my friend? So you're, you're not taking on your calling card as a meteorologist? Is no. that what I'm hearing? Well, the meteorologists are pretty stupid. Yeah, I've always had a theory that they're 70% wrong. I would say about 85% wrong, 15% right. Honestly, it's entertainment when they go up there. Why are they beautiful women? Why are they good-looking, sexy guys? And why is that? It's to draw people to check out the weather. Most people don't even care about the weather. They care about who and what and how they're speaking or what they're dressing in. or It's all about entertainment. For all those people that tell me, I love Channel 12 weather or Channel 4 weather or the newscast Channel 2. Give me a break. I can't trust anybody to tell me today that they love the weather on Channel 2 just because of the weather. Anyways, we have a great show lined up for you guys tonight. We will be talking to former NFL receiver and Emmy Award winner for searching for the summit. It was ESPN 360 that put that story out there. Mark Patterson, he's going to be joining us. He actually is the VP of Sports Illustrated, too. He's a nice guy. Very, very fun. Has a lot of great stories. So you're going to definitely like this interview. He's fantastic and looking forward to getting him on friend of the show as well breaking news we're just going to get into zach wilson and i'll get into what i thought last night after hearing zach wilson's injury and seeing zach wilson's injury zach wilson will be out two to four weeks torn meniscus two to four weeks ladies and gentlemen for all those fake doctors and analysts saying that is a seizing ending injury zach wilson in week one of the preseason what happens throws an interception didn't look good on the first round and then the second round hurts himself we will get into the new york giants as daniel jones has a pretty good game in his first preseason game and his first two drives so we'll get into zach wilson and daniel jones and our thoughts to both quarterbacks on how they looked in the first preseason game, which is not much. We will get into the Kevin Durant saga, which never ends, ladies and gentlemen, as Steve Nash and Sean Marks could be out the door. That's not going to happen. What are the Nets going to do? How are they going to maneuver and move this man out of Brooklyn. And I know a lot of Brooklyn Net fans want him out of here, but he's still one of the best players in the league. So they got to get as much as they possibly can for him before they decide to dispose of him. But it doesn't seem like the Nets are going to bite on getting rid of Steve Nash or Sean Marks. So it's hasta la vista to Kevin Durant. We will get into the Yankees, the Mets, and our friend Fernando Tatis. He's been teasing everybody with his forearm lotion because that lotion has a lot of steroids in it. So he's telling everybody it was 
ringworm. Everybody else thinks he's full of baloney. So we will get into the Fernando Tatis story, and it seems like it's going to hit a lot of airwaves throughout the week in baseball conversations. You so, can randomly drug test baloney? That's a new one. But MLB will find a way. Nah, well, MLB will find anything, because Rob Manfred is running the show over there. And we're going to get into Moneyline Mania. Chaz will be here. By the way, congratulations to Wes on yes. his birth of his son. Also, John last week, he's got a kid yep. on the way too, one of our handicappers. So, congratulations to both of them. Healthy babies are very important, so we really appreciate them giving us the time. So, why don't we get into it, ladies and gentlemen? I want to get into Zach Wilson because a lot of Jet fans yesterday were about to jump off the bridge. Every single Jet fan on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, anybody that follows the New York football green green Jets were about to jump off the bridge yesterday. You think over the last couple of weeks and what Robert Saller has done with OTAs, not practicing as much, trying to keep everybody fresh, keeping them off the field, not putting pads on as much as every other team, trying to keep them safe and trying to keep them healthy. You losing your starting offensive right tackle the week before the first preseason game and Makai Becton for the season. They thought it was something small. So what do the Jets do? Within 48 hours, they sign Pro Bowl Dwayne Brown to a two-year deal worth about $22 million. And then he doesn't even play in the game because he's got to get acclimated in the offense. The preseason game, everybody's looking forward to it. They're playing the Philadelphia Eagles. And what happens? Two drives, one interception, and an injured quarterback. A quarterback moves out of a roll, runs about 20 yards, tries to move away from a linebacker, and it looked like he stretched his knee. After he gets up and he's limping, you think he's okay. You think he's just trying to get to the sidelines, and then he falls back to his knees, and then all the trainers come running out. Robert Sala comes running out. It looks really bad. He walks off the field. He goes to the locker room, and then all these things, all over social media, Twitter, everybody's a doctor, including the doctors. Oh, it's a torn ACL. And then everybody, from Hughes to Samini, everybody saying it could be the end of the New York Jets this year after five plays. Zach Wilson could be out for the season. The Jets' season is done. Let's talk about the draft next year. Let's talk about the quarterback they draft next year. The Zach Wilson story is over. Then as the game prolongs, more and more stuff comes out that Zach Wilson is walking without a knee brace in the back. He doesn't have anything sad. He's not crying in the back in the locker room. Then the game ends. The Jets win. Big whoop. It's a preseason game. It's against the Eagles. And they were playing their fourth or fifth bench warmers. Robert Sala goes up there and says that he believes Zach Wilson ACL is intact, which means it's not an ACL. It takes away the alarm when a lot of the inside people believe that his ACL is intact. So if you're a Jet fan right now saying, I don't know what's going to happen, is the season over for the Jets? I would push more 70% no, 30% yes. Nevertheless, the Jets got themselves an offensive tackle who I believe was the best offensive tackle available still in the offseason, in Dwayne Brown, who is 37 years old, but you heard Robert Salas say they believe he has a lot of football left. The last four seasons, he has been 100% healthy. He's played in almost every single game. Is he better than Makai Beckham? For right now, in a short move when it comes to the New York Jets and where the Jets need to be, yes, I think it's a great move for the Jets. Does Dwayne Brown play the left tackle position? Does he play the right tackle position? Only time will tell in the preseason. But if you're a Jet fan right now, Speedy, you're not happy about the Zach Wilson thing. You are happy that your offensive line 
could be one of the best in the NFL. A tale of two injuries. Mekhi Becton we knew about throughout the season where he was coming back from the knee injury and also a foot injury, and the organization was going to have to diagnose it properly. Obviously, that did not happen. Second knee injury, done for the season, unfortunately. And Mekhi Becton, for somebody his size, you definitely wonder about that kind of thing. The offensive line being a very grueling position in the trenches where you're going to get constant contact all the time. And for a scheme with Mike LaFleur, that's a very offensive zone-oriented scheme. That's definitely worrisome for Mekhi Becton going forward in the long term for his development. Now, Dwayne Brown, absolutely good bargain deal. Two years, $22 million for a guy that was just a pro bowler with the Seahawks. Now, it'll be quite a scheme adjustment. He's never been in a scheme this complex. That being said, Russell Wilson is a guy that does like to extend plays and roll out a lot on his own. So Dwayne Brown has to run with that, too. So he's kind of used to that in recent years especially being a pro bowler with the Seahawks last year. Mekhi Beckton's injury more on the organization. Zach Wilson's injury, though, that was more on himself. Why is he trying to make that cut is my biggest question. Run out of bounds or slide. It's a preseason game. There's no need to prove yourself that you can make that kind of cut. It looked very awkward, and we've seen even in recent years, too, a lot of non-contact injuries have been just as bad for leg injuries as contact injuries. You look at Deshaun Watson, his rookie year, in practice, a non-contact injury. Dalvin Cook in a game against the Lions, his rookie year, he missed 12 games, was a non-contact injury on a cutback. David Johnson had that same kind of thing the following year. So those non-contact injuries can be just as bad. So there's no need to risk that in the preseason. Now, like you were saying, the diagnosis looks positive. Seems likely that Zach Wilson, if that's the case, will only miss a month. He might miss week one against the Ravens, but that might be it if that's the case. And remember, there's only three preseason games, so they get the extra week off to heal where he doesn't have to play either. He did pass the ACL stability test, and usually when you pass the ACL stability test, it's not an ACL. You have top doctors over there with the New York Jets organization and trainers. They would know if it's an ACL or not. It doesn't show in the test that he have. And they're not going to play him because he's a franchise quarterback. And that means they're going to probably sit him out for the season, even if Zach wants to play with it. We all know about Phillip Rivers. Mm-hmm. Phillip Rivers almost half the season played with a partial torn ACL and didn't tell anybody about it. It ended up being fully torn by the end of that season. And in the playoffs. In the AFC Championship. It was fully torn at that point, sometime during that game in the I don't know how quarter. he played yeah. with that, by the way. Obviously, they got blown out anyway, so I don't know if the result would have made that much of a difference. It doesn't matter. <laughs> the fact that he did it half the season and actually got his team to an AFC title game is yeah. fantastic. The only time the Chargers have made the AFC Championship game in the 21st century. Kudos to him for that. Could you imagine winning the Super Bowl with a torn ACL? Only Phillip Rivers could have done that. Even if they didn't win, knock you off an undefeated Patriots team that season with a torn ACL. That would be one of the biggest upsets you'd see. (laughs) The Giants had an upset that year, so Uh why couldn't a team like the San Diego Chargers do that too? So I think that if you look at the big picture, if you're a Jet fan today, you're not happy. You're not happy with Zach Wilson because there was no reason for him to cut that way. You're not happy with the outcome of Makai Beckham because he was their top pick two years ago. It was Joe Douglas's first draft, and he was the number 11th pick. And everybody thought because of his size and his ability and his speed and his pass blocking and run blocking ability from Louisville, he was going to be a fantastic player in the NFL. It just hasn't cut it. The big ticket hasn't been the big ticket since season one. So it's not a happy thought for the New York Jets. As far as the Giants are concerned, in week one of the preseason, Daniel Jones looked pretty good. Saquon Barkley looked pretty good. If you're a Giant fan right now, you're hoping because of their schedule and the way the schedule is and the NFC, how weak it is, because now it's so overlapped with the AFC and the talent over there and the quarterback play in the AFC, maybe the Giants have a chance this year to be a wild card team. If you look at all the teams, especially in their division, who scares you 
in the NFC East. The Cowboys, they have no offensive line right now. They're overpaying Zeke Elliott. You don't know what Dak Prescott is, and I love Dak. They have no wide receivers. C.D. Lamb is the only one that's 100% healthy. And how long that's going to be. There's no more Amari Cooper. He's with the Cleveland Browns. So what are the Cowboys? Then you go to Philadelphia. We watched Philadelphia last night, at least in the first two drives. They scored 14 points. Wasn't Jalen Hurts. They have a tremendous amount of talent up front with the wide receivers that they have and some of the young tight ends that they have. They're going to be fun to watch. They have a good running game. Jalen Hurts is the guy that you're hoping that could take that next step. If not, they got two first-round draft picks next year. They'll be lurking and looking for a top-end quarterback with the quarterbacks that are going to be in that class. You look at the Washington Commanders, Carlson Wentz who's no longer with Indianapolis. He's on his third team in three years. So he's a journeyman now. Figure that one out. The number two pick in the draft six years ago is now a journeyman in the NFL. Not surprised, even though I thought he had a great season last year. They added some wide receivers. Their defense played very well in the second half of the season, one of the better defenses in the league. But are they going to do it impactively all season long? Who knows? So the NFC East is very open. If you go through all the other divisions— I mean, Seattle's going to look like crap, probably. They have Drew Locke throwing the ball. The 49ers will be good. Packers, because of Aaron Rodgers, only because of Aaron Rodgers, will still probably be good. A lot of people think Minnesota's going to be good. I, I do. I don't. I think they lost a lot of pieces this offseason. They did lose a couple of linebackers. Definitely will affect their defense. Maybe offensively, they'll be more explosive. But defensively, they're not going to be anywhere close to the team that they were. They were dominant in the last three or four No, years. they're definitely more of an offensive team now. Tampa will be good, as always, because Tom Brady. How many teams? The Saints? Are you going to trust Jameis Winston? Taysom Hill? Are you going to trust him? I can't trust that. Also, Alvin Kamara could be suspended, too. Yeah, he could be suspended. His court case is next month. The Rams will be good, too, because of all the acquisitions they made in the offseason. I expect them to be very good. But the NFC is really for large. That means there's two wildcard teams that could be 9-7 and seven that could make the playoffs. And whoever wins the NFC East, I think, wins 10 games. I was listening to many different people tell me that they can win 11, 12, the Cowboys. They're not winning Maybe the 12. Eagles. I don't think any other team. I don't even think the Eagles are going to win 11 or 12 games. I think whoever wins that division is going to win 10 games. Maybe one of the wildcard teams could come out of that winning Maybe. 9 games. Maybe like the last one or something. Yeah. yeah. But the Giants, if they win 9 games this year, which... Quite possibly could happen because of the way their schedule is set up. And Daniel Jones steps up, and I think he could, and I, I think Dable's a good coach. You saw it in the preseason game. Modern concepts. Yeah, modern <laughs> concepts, using the running back in the open field. That's what you expect from a good offense. If they can run that offense and it, it's successful in the NFC like it was in the AFC East, maybe the Giants make the playoffs. There's two good takeaways I like from this first Giants preseason game. Exactly what you were saying with Dable. There's finally some actual motion in this offense. You saw guys moving around at the line of scrimmage pre-snap. And what you said about Saquon Barkley, they're using him in the passing game a lot more often too, which is definitely going to add another weapon to this team. Now, the Giants, in terms of their receivers, they didn't play a lot of the starting receivers in that game outside of Galladay for one drive. And the Wandale Robinson was on the field for a drive in the slot, but didn't get targeted very often. It was mainly Colin Johnson that got those reps. But Dable is comfortable with using multiple guys in that sense and... And I think the play calling itself will definitely make a difference. Daniel Jones looked pretty good, I would say. He missed a couple short throws. That was really his only flaw. But he was rolling out. He had a couple nice throws on the run, too, which is good to see. 
Defensively, their secondary is kind of questionable, but I think their front seven looked good. Thibodeau looked good in the little bit he played. And outside of Ojalari, everyone was healthy on the defense, too. That's a good sign. You don't ever want injuries at that point. You were talking about with the Jets. They tried to limit the pad practices because of that. A lot of teams are doing that now since the Rams started doing it when McVay got hired. And I think the Giants, very similar approach, trying to keep everyone healthy. Tony, the only one here on the offense, and Ojalari, really the only one on the defense right now. I think when you look at the Giants, you expect Thibodeau to really approach this season as a rookie, but also show people that he could be a top pass rusher in this league. And if he does become that, the Giants have what they've always built over the years. is a good pass rusher on the edge, and they could build around him. And if they do that, a year from now, two years from now, they could be a Super Bowl contender. Mm-hmm. We've seen this before. They did that when Michael Strahan was getting old. What did they bring? They bring in Justin Tuck. They right. had OCU Mayor there. If Thibodeau is the guy and he's the approach, maybe they had another pass rusher or a free agent pass rusher to the other edge, and then you have something. Mm-hmm. Then you have a legitimate pass rush. And the Giants have won over the years, if you remember, especially in the 80s and the early 90s, they had a pass rush. And if they have a pass rush, they'll find a way in the secondary to stop the other teams and the weapons that they have in the open field. And the Giants win. Even Super Bowl 46, Justin Tuck and Newman, you're there. But also the draft Jason Pierre-Paul, too. Third yeah. pass rusher. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. And if they can do that and build around the pass rush, which it's always about building around the trenches. You listen to every GM and successful GM that's made it in this league. You talk about Baltimore. You talk about 49ers, San Francisco. You talk about all the teams that have won over the years, even the New England Patriots. They built around the trenches. Big offensive line, very good run-stopping defenses that can stop the run, make teams one-dimensional. What does that mean when you're a one-dimensional team? You know what that team's going to do, which means you're one step ahead of the other team to stop them. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into some baseball as our friend Fernando Titis is out for 80 games suspension because the Padres were not watching him use some forearm lotion to kill ringworm. What kind of player says that? I can't even blame the Padres for the stupidity. Fernando Tatis is an idiot. He gets a $300 million contract a year ago, and obviously he thought he was going to get away with this because it was forearm lotion trying to stop ringworm. But we'll get into the Fernando Tatis suspension, 80 games from the MLB. We'll get into the lonesome New York Yankees that can't win, and the New York Mets who have been red hot since the All-Star break. So we'll get into all that and more here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World's Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. As the air is beautiful, as the fall comes around, as we talk football, baseball is coming to an end. We have a month and a half before the playoffs. The two things that really stand out from two of the baseball teams before we get into Fernando Tatis is the Yankees made the most moves for both New York teams at the trade deadline. Everybody thought the Mets were going to do that. The Mets stayed put. They added a good hitter in Volderbeck. Big, fat, and can hit. That's for sure. And then they add a left-handed powerhouse over there on the other side who can hit lefties. You look at what the Mets did so far at the trade deadline. 
Every Met fan was upset. What are they doing? What is this organization doing? They've got all the money in the world. Steve Cohen likes to spend money. Why didn't they go after a Soto? Which they tried to, but it didn't happen. Why didn't they go after a Benatendi? Why didn't they go after a star relief pitcher like Hader? But the Mets stayed put. They didn't go after J.D. Martinez. That looks like crap. They stayed put because they believe in their pitching. Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom. They believe they can beat anybody in any team in baseball when they have those two horses on the mound. And they were right. Because since the All-Star break, the Mets have been one of the top two record teams in the MLB. They have won just as many games as the Yankees and the Red Sox have since the All-Star break. Together. That tells you how good the Mets are playing. Now, this weekend, they're playing the Phillies. They lost Friday against the Phillies in extra innings. The Phillies are playing great baseball. And the Phillies could make the playoffs. They really could. And they could be a dangerous team. They really could. Because maybe their bullpen has gotten a little bit better. They added Houdini. (laughs) It can't get much worse than it was in the beginning of the season. I look at where the Yankees are. I wonder with the Yankees. I wonder what the Yankees are as an organization. How this organization is going to move forward for where they are and where they're positioned. What they can do this season. Aaron Judge having the season that he's had. An MVP season. Adding Montas. Adding Benatandi. Adding all these pieces. You're thinking that this team was going to go on a run where they're going to win 119 games, 120 games, and be one of the greatest teams in Yankee history. They've fallen apart. They're injured. Some of their players have not really stood out to be the players that we thought they were going to be going into the second half. Anthony Rizzo's back, but he's hitting 225, even with 27 home runs and 60-some-I-RBIs. Aaron Judge, he's hot as hell. He's the only one that's hot. But you can't win when one player is hot. And you wonder, what's going on with this bullpen? Holmes has been horrible. What's going on with this rotation? Montez, his first game as a Yankee, horrible. You wonder if this organization is positioned to win going into the playoffs. I'm lost with words with the Yankees. The hitting approach right now is going back to their old flaws from before where the Yankees are trying to go all or nothing in certain points and it seems like Aaron Judge is the only one carrying them and we've seen stretches of that in the past and that has not done well in the playoffs. That has not done well in certain stretches for as potent as the Yankees offense always looks on paper and that's a big concern as it is. The bullpen, we didn't expect it to last like it was the first two months of the season for the entire season but it definitely is concerning when you're seeing a lot of their top relievers all of a sudden look out of whack like they're out of position and they're not being able to adjust well and for a modern bullpen you have to be able to do well in other roles too the starters I think it was expected for Cortez to level out it was expected for Garrett Cole to bounce back after he had that rough patch but and he's had a great start against Seattle even though they lost that game also the Yankees late game hitting has started to really falter where it was in the beginning of the season very very strong and That'll make a difference when it comes to October. The Yankees are losing a lot of close games. I heard yesterday that the Yankees are now tied for the most walk-off losses this year, too. So that's definitely concerning for where they were in the beginning They've of the They've won season. the most, and they've lost the yeah, most. Yeah, but still, like that's also concerning where you look at the bullpen where it was and the situational hitting where it was in the beginning of the season. The only the alarming thing about the Yankees is Holmes. That's the alarming thing. He was one of the best closers. He was one of the best relief pitchers in baseball throughout the season. And now all of a sudden, since the second half, he's bombed. On three games. He, yeah. He's given up runs in the last three times in the last three games that the Yankees have brought him in. So if you're sitting here today, that's the thing that's alarming to the Yankees because you lost King for the season. Besides Holmes, he was your second best relief pitcher. Now... You don't have King anymore. Holmes looks like he's got his head up his ass. What are the Yankees going to do? And Loisica hasn't been the same since he's been back. Chapman hasn't been the same since he's coming back. You can only hope that when Zach Britton comes back, he 
is the player that we remember when he came to the Yankees. Mm -hmm. So right now, you you can't be happy if you're a New York Yankee fan. Yeah, I was just going to mention Chapman, too. And it might come to the point where you're going to have to try to rebirth him into what he was. And that might be difficult. And same kind of thing with Britain. If he does come back, will he come back the same? Now, you were saying on the Sports Labmouse, he was pitching kind of injured last year. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't the same peak form and definitely did not look it. But Zach Britton might have to have a different pitching style in order for him to be effective again. As far as the Mets, yeah. What we thought is more small-scale trade deadline acquisitions have hit well. Daniel Vogelbach, spiritual leader, home runs, getting on base a lot. And for a guy that normally strikes out a lot, isn't striking out as much as I thought he would. And Tyler Naquin, too, another nice acquisition. And the Mets have really done an interesting transformation where they've done different hitters rather than just sticking with what they have, which you don't normally see all at once. Now, they're pitching. They're going to have to rely a lot on the starters Mm -hmm. down the road. And postseason, it'll be very interesting if that strategy ends up working because the Mets are going to kind of have to do more of an old-school approach because of that, too. Now, we've seen teams with questionable bullpens on paper still look good in the postseason in recent years. We saw that with the Red Sox when they won in 2018. We saw that with the Nationals in 2019. The Cubs, their bullpen wasn't bad when they won, but it wasn't their strength. And Joe Madden kind of started that trend where you don't need to have this great bullpen on paper to make it work. So Buck Showalter is going to have to do a little bit of that in order to make it work. But if they get all those starters healthy, they could definitely use some of those guys out of the pen. So it'll be interesting to see what they do going forward. I still wouldn't favor them as the favorite coming out of the National League, but they're still in the top three at the moment. And then there's Fernando Tatis, who everybody thought was coming back. You added Juan Soto. You have Machado there. You have your triple threat right there. Your three unbelievable top-end hitters, all of them are going to make over $300 million. Soto being probably the first $500 million player in the league. And then you hear yesterday that the Major League is suspended Tatis for 80 games, which that will be the rest of the season. And probably a little bit next season as well. So he's out until next season. And if you sit here today and you wonder what Tatis was before this, nobody knows. Maybe he's been doing this since the beginning. That means he got a $300 million contract, and we don't even know how good he really was. And maybe he thought he was going to hide this lotion. It wasn't going to appear in his drug tests because... Everybody gets a drug test. He obviously had one when he was sitting out, relaxing, and enjoying his rehabilitation. But then you're hearing that he took this lotion for ringworm. He didn't know there was steroids in it. Are you kidding me? Come on. You sound like Mark McGuire. You sound like Barry Bonds. This is what they said. Again, I believe that athletes, as long as they're not boxers or MMA fighters or combat sports, everybody, if they want to use... Steroids, they should be allowed to. It doesn't make you see the ball better. Maybe it gives you a little more power. It doesn't matter. Steroids have been around forever. Amphetamines have been around since the 60s, the 50s. They were getting away with it. There, A lot of them are in the Hall of Fame. So why is baseball making this a big deal? But right now, it is a big deal. Because of the steroid era. Because of Mark McGuire and Paul Merrow. And Sammy Sosa. And Barry Bonds. And Roger Clemens. And do you want to go more? Cam Caminiti. We could go up and down. David Ortiz, who's in the Hall of Fame. Figure that one out. Manny Ramirez. Alex Rodriguez. Some of the greats. But Fernando Tartiz, and I call him Tartiz. Memorize what I'm saying. Tartiz. And just kind of mimic what I'm trying to get there. He is an idiot. He is a dumb athlete who thought that he can outsmart the MLB. Outsmart a drug test. And then have the audacity to come out and say that he was using the lotion to kill ringworm. When you could go into CVS right now and get a lotion right there. What is he talking about? I mean, could you be that dumb? It's like boxers saying that they were eating steak and it had steroids in it. Okay, there's a Mexican fighter 
that everybody knows the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world at one point, Canelo Alvarez, that when he was caught with steroids, he said, I don't know. I was eating a lot of steak. And the steak might have had a lot of steroids in it. What do you think? We're stupid? The amount of steroids they found in his blood? Not any cow could have lived through it. <laughs> so you're saying the cows weren't taking the steroids? Oh, Aww. I was looking for that plot God. twist. That would have been great. But yeah, <laughs> everything you just said about Tatis is pretty accurate when it comes to the way that they test for these things now. I go back to just four years ago. Eventual Mets bum, Robinson Cano, and Yankees legend. Robinson Cano had something legend. similar. Not for the Yankee standard. Definitely he would have been a Hall of Famer. Nevertheless, all the drugs that he said, oh, I wasn't doing, all these foreign substances that he wasn't taking when he was in the Dominican Republic. He was hanging out with Alex. Yeah, and your career hasn't been the same since then. And Fernando Tatis, hopefully you're young enough to not have that hinder your entire career, but still, that's not a good look. He will not be a Padre very long. Unless somebody wants him. If he comes back and he plays a little, they're going to get rid of him. They'll sign Soto, they'll keep Soto, and they're going to have to move on from Tatis because he's going to get ridiculed. Definitely a bad look, though, when you're seeing all these guys get caught all the substances last year, all the new substances that are on the list. I'm not saying you have to memorize the list, but just be careful with what you're taking when it comes to these kinds of things. Look up what cloth the ball is. Look up what this ringworm thing is. All these other substances. You have the money, obviously. You just got paid a big, big contract. $300 million contract. You should be able to afford that kind of thing. You should be able to research something that is going to heal an injury. Just know about this kind of thing. Your team is making all these trade line splashes one of the best teams in baseball why would you risk that kind of thing come on man you gotta be better than that when we come back ladies and gentlemen we'll be talking to former nfl receiver and emmy award winner for searching for the summit mark patterson here on the weekend crunch we are back ladies and gentlemen as you know this is the weekend crunch i'm your host arrow marks my co-host Speedy PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio network well 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 there's not every day we have an emmy award winner joining us on our show we are now talking to former nfl receiver and emmy award winner for searching for the summit nfl 360 espn 360 mark patterson marky mark what's going on bud how you doing hey let me ask you this guys where is this show being broadcast i assume it's the east coast it is new york my friend long island new yorker uh, I love that. I was back in New York in, in May for oh. the Emmys, and that's when the Searching for the Summer, we won the best picture for my Everest climb, and loved the energy. It was great to be traveling again. It was great to be back in, in New York City and feeling that energy, like I said, with all the people cruising down the street and going mm-hmm. cuckoo. So loved it when I was out there. I've been to the Sports Emmy Awards. I didn't go to the Emmy Awards last year, but I experienced it. It's wonderful. You meet so many people at those award shows. The time that I went there, I met Michael Strahan and Alex. Rodriguez, and they were some of the hosts of the show, so it was fun, and you get to meet different analysts and sports guys at those industry events, but when I heard that we were getting you on, we were very excited. We are talking still to former NFL receiver and Emmy Award winner for searching for the summit, Mark Patterson. So Mark, tell us a little bit about your climbing over the years. Everest, I never ever did that. That is scary. People have died on Mount Everest. What was it like climbing Mount Everest? What was it like doing a story 
of searching the summit. Yeah, well, let's back it just a little bit. You know, so I did play in the NFL mm-hmm. for five years mm-hmm. and very blessed and grateful to have just had my time there. Everybody has a different trajectory and that was mine. And then life happened and had kids and got married and did all those things. About 10 years ago, going through a rough patch in my life. But at the end of the day, we all go through rough patches. And if you haven't, you know, it's coming, right? So I set out at that time to kind of pull myself out of it, set up a big ass goal. And I said, I want to become the first NFL player to climb the seven summits. And so the seven summits, for those of you who who don't know, are the highest mountain on each continent. Obviously, we have seven continents. And so around the globe, I went. took me almost 10 years to complete that. And so the last one, of course, was Mount Everest. The way that I originally designed this to go was by difficulty and experience and and learning the ropes and learning how to use my crampons and ice axe and scale up on mines and go over crevasses and fall into them and get out of them and all that. kind of stuff. And so after 10 years, after climbing literally hundreds and hundreds of mountains, not just the seven, of course, but all the ones I was training on, I finally was ready to take on Mount Everest in 2020. And as we all know, it was March, 2020, when I had actually driven out from Sun Valley, Idaho, where I live, to LA, where I was going to launch at the end of March and about mid-March is when COVID hit. If we all go back there and think about it, that's where every day it got exponentially more crazy. People mm. were dying. We didn't have a vaccine. We didn't know what it was, how we're going to fix this, all these restaurants and shops, everything else started shutting down. And so that got pushed out a year and things always happen for a reason. I'm convinced in January of 2021, I got a call from the NFL and they said, hey, we really want to do a story on your Everest ascent and cover that. Originally, the idea was to cover this was going to be five to seven minutes. This was going to be done by NFL 360. And they flew over here to Sun Valley and they got very involved. They're interviewing myself. They were with Jim Mora, my best friend, who was training with me at the time. Now he's the head coach at UConn. And up and down we went and they started into this project. And by the end of the whole project, it ended up being a full documentary, 30 minutes for NFL, which is how they slot those things in on their show, NFL 360. I had no no clue when I was climbing, when we were shooting the movie. I did most of the filming up in the mountain because the NFL security had blocked them from coming to Mount Everest because there was a huge COVID outbreak. And so that was shut down. I had no clue that when they put the whole film together, that it would turn out like it did. They called it Searching for the Summit. And somebody in that whole organization submitted it for a Emmy. And I thought that was super cool. We were nominated for Best Picture and Best Cinematography, which is cool because I did a lot of that shooting on the mountain. And then we get there and I'm hanging out with Mike Tirico and Bob Costas and all those guys you were just talking about, mm-hmm. all the different connections that were there. The way that the whole configuration was, I didn't get an invite to go there until kind of a few days before because they didn't have a seat because there was all this demand for the last couple of years because of COVID. And so I'm sitting up at the front and Mike Tirico gets up there and goes, I can't believe it. Searching for the summit, NFL 360, you guys are on a roll. That was the fourth one that we won that night. And I got up there, I'm standing on stage by myself, you know, (laughs) until the other guys, the producers and everybody else. It was just amazing getting in front of Bob Costas and Leslie Visser and all these people for years and years and years I've seen up on stage. I was there collecting probably the biggest prize there is of the night. Of course, there's editing and sound and they're all important and they're all matter. But to get the best picture, it was pretty damn cool. And so I've got a big ass statue of the Emmy coming my way here pretty soon. Awesome. Congratulations on that. Absolutely. All the feats, everything with the seven summits. That's amazing. Your whole career too, as an NFL player, five years is still a long time in the NFL. An average NFL player only plays three years. You played five. I want to go back and address something else Mm -hmm. You said too, because this is one of the crazy things. I mean, we can go as deep as you want to go on on Mount Everest, but in 2019, I was in Antarctica. Like, who goes to Antarctica, right? Mm-hmm. Except for penguins. And so I'm down there, and there's a mountain called Mount Vincent. 
and Vincent is the highest point on Antarctica. It's just crazy. Just the adventure of getting there is a, a whole nother story. But there was a guy that was my tent mate and my hotel mate when we first landed in Chile. This place called Punta Arenas was where we took a plane from point A to point B to land on the ice in Antarctica. We got to know each other. We were tent mates, like I said, for three weeks and climbed the mountain. We got down and and during that time on that climb, he wasn't very strong and he struggled a lot. But at the end of the day, he did make it. So congrats on that. Three months later, he was going to fly back to his home hometown in Salt Lake City and then go from Salt Lake City over to Everest and take that on. He won with a low-cost carrier expedition team over there. He got up there. He was there two months, just like I was. And he ended up getting to the top, raised his hand straight in the air, fell over and died. And when Sorry I was making my final outside. ascent on that day, May 23rd, 2021, I had to step over Don Cash. And if that's not just a crazy, eerie thing to be thinking about, because, you know, all these competitive things that we do, you go play hoops, it really doesn't matter what level you play. You're pretty much not going to die on a football field and things like that. And to be stepping over dead bodies, not just him, there was other guys too. I had another guy at yeah, 26,500 feet, camp four, uh, dead guy lately and six feet from me. Yeah, it's just a weird mindset that you have to put your mind into so that you don't freak out so much about that moment, dead people laying around. And you just got to like focus on the task at hand to get you to the top and back down safely. It's a very dangerous environment. And I'm very lucky that I'm sitting here today talking to you guys. Within the seven summits, I know you're talking about Everest specifically just now, but what was the most unique thing you encountered judging all the different mountains, all different parts of the world, geographic diversity that it could be? Did that contribute to why it was more of a challenge than the others? Any one of the seven? The, kind of the net net is this, is that Everest is exponentially way more difficult. Now, number two on the list is Denali, and that's tough too. It took me 21 days to get up and down that mountain. Actually, I'd been up there in 2017. I summited in 2018. And on 2017, we ran into minus 80 degree weather. If you can appreciate being up in Alaska and that Arctic swirl that gets going around and we're up there in May and it just gets so unbelievably cold and storms that come in. But at the end of the day, 21 days is a pretty short time. I mean, we got locked down. It wasn't fun. And we had to carry 137 pounds on our back to get up just in position to try to make it to the summit. We didn't make that happen in 2017. In 2018, we had bluebird day all the way. It was still cold, but we made it. There's challenging things. There's an ice wall that's 800 feet that you got to climb up. You got to climb over this big crevasse to get into that. And then you're on a fixed line to get through that 800 feet. It's extremely steep. And there's a lot of people that die up there. But when you go to Mount Everest, you're talking about two months of suffering. And that's number one, what makes it unique when we're talking about big mountain expeditions. Number two, you got to think about you're not coming back. It's freeze dried food. It's a tough way to live and survive on food, types of foods that you're not used to eating and consuming and trying to keep up the calories, considering how many calories you're burning. You guys are on Long Island right. right now. And you guys are at, in terms of elevation, you're at like zero feet right now, right? <laughs> Imagine this. If you guys look straight up in the sky, 17,500 feet. Think about that. Living at 17,500 feet for two months. And so a lot of people have this, there's a brain and also a lung issue of pulmonary edema and cerebral edema mm -hmm. where people's, you know, there's not enough oxygen that's going to the brain and people shut down. And we were flying people off left and right. And then you got to contend with the Kumba icefall. And that's basically a 2000 foot straight up frozen glacier of about 30 foot ice columns that are collapsing every day. I went through that thing five times, up and down, up and down, up and down. Over those two months, there's not one time, not one time that I took the same route. Every single time we had to go through a different route because the routes that they had set all collapsed. 
You're going down crevasses. You're coming wow. back out. You're going up these huge ice walls. There's avalanches coming down on you every single day. The weather is very unpredictable. And then you make it to that next camp up there, camp one, camp two. Now you're kind of in that zone where it's relatively safe, but now you're still at 22,000, 23,000 feet. And then you got to go climb the Lhotse face. And if you can imagine an ice rank, and if you could tilt it 45 degrees. And on the last rotation that we went in route to the top, we got caught in a cyclone for three days. So imagine being on a 45 degrees ice slope in a tent for three days in a cyclone, couldn't get out of your tent, couldn't get out of your sleeping bag. I mean, it was terrifying. So there's just all these things that added into it just because it's such an extreme environment. And then when you get up to the top, that's where the jet stream flies, you know, at 26,500 feet in two weeks during the fall, two weeks during the springtime, the jet stream rises above 26,000 feet, actually rises above 29,000 feet at the top. Theoretically, it's not exact. It might be a day. It might be 10 days. It might be two days and then skip and then come back down. And it's all over the board like it was for us. And coming out of the cyclone and then making a ditch for the top and dealing with all the altitude. And now you're breathing oxygen mass like you see astronauts or something. It's just a whole exponential different level that you got to deal with and contend. As everybody knows, we are talking to former NFL receiver, Emmy Award winner for searching for the summit, Mark Patterson. Mark, you trained as an NFL player. Player, and it takes a lot out of your body. It's a physical training, mental training. What is it like training for the NFL and training to get on a football field? And what was it like training and getting ready to climb a big mountain? One of the things that I learned a lot from is my head coach, Don James. For those that don't remember Don James, he was a coach at Washington where I played. And he had adapted a version that John Wooden, the famous basketball coach down at UCLA, had called the Pyramid of Success. And all things that I've done in life, from the NFL to climbing mountains to making this film to being an executive at Sports Illustrated, it all has the same pattern. And there's basically 25 different building blocks. And if you don't take care of each one of these building blocks, getting bigger, getting faster, getting stronger, studying film, staying in class, doing all those types of things on the mountain, learning how to use your ice axe and put on crampons and the different kind of outfits and how to eat and how to hydrate yourself. There's all these different things. At the very top of that rung is competitive greatness. And you've got levels like Michael Jordan, which are the ultimate example of competitive greatness, right? But the bottom line, what that really means is that you love the process. And that number one element in all these things that you have to do is love the process. The major difference, and there's a lot of similarities between the NFL and climbing mountains, but you got to get vertical. There's just no substitute. So what I was doing is I lived in Manhattan Beach, California, mm. right at the time, five years ago. Mm -hmm. And just like Long Beach, beautiful beaches right along its elevation zero. I decided to move my entire life over to Sun Valley, Idaho. We live at 6,000 feet. Every single day I go up in the mountain, every single day. I climbed 1,800 feet today and just straight up. I'm training for more mountains coming up. I think one of the things that, especially for me as a receiver in the NFL, a lot of my game was burst and sprints and route running and those types of things. And you're not going straight uphill. And with when you're climbing these mountains, that's what you're doing. And people that have an experience that they can just seriously hurt their hamstrings and their quads when they're going up or coming back down. And that can a lot of times make the difference between failure and success. So in the mountains that you've climbed in the seven summits, what about the other surrounding areas within those countries? Was there any country or even city about that that stood out away from the mountain? Each one is amazing. I would think in relative to that question in today's environment, the highest mountain, ironically, in Europe is in Russia. And so who goes to Russia? I did. I, you know, I was in Moscow, I was in Leningrad. And when we finally got kind of a planes, trans, and automobiles down to Caucasus Mountains to climb this mountain called Mount Elbrus, 
it sits next to this this other country called Georgia. And when we were there, the Russians had shot down a plane or something from Georgia, and there's all this high tension and conflict. There's all these soldiers running around with machine guns, and we were told not to go too close to the border and all this kind of stuff. So when you're in these other countries, you got to beware. But another country that I absolutely fell in love with was Argentina, the highest mountain in South America. is a mountain called Aconcagua, 23,000 feet, and a town called Mendoza. And I didn't know this at the time, but Mendoza is where they make all the Malbec wines. Mm-hmm. Oh. And it's cheap too. So, you know, we had a lot of time, a good time. It's much bigger than Napa, but it's in that vein, all these different vineyards and things like that. But it's just a great way to travel the world and see it in a way that normally you wouldn't do those types of things. As everybody knows, we are talking to former NFL receiver, Emmy Award winner for searching for the summit, Mark Patterson. When we watch the game of football, it's so intense. It's mental. It's abusive to the body. And that's why they say only an NFL player lasts for three years. And if you're lucky, you play a little bit longer than that. When you look at the game today, more than it was when you played, what is different that you have seen from when you were playing? I think there's less physicality. I mean, certainly there's incredible hits and everything else, but the referees and the rules of the game now are really, really protecting guys like me, the receivers coming across the center. Safeties like Ronnie Lott just can't tee up against you and knock you out like they used to do. And if you take any kind of hit to the head, you know, the flight comes out. And you see this time and again. Then you take a look at the quarterback. Guys like Tom Brady has probably had a major effect on his career, the longevity. Drew Brees, from the standpoint of those guys not being able to be hit once they release the ball and they're really on it in terms of blowing the whistle and things like that. I think in a lot of ways it was more violent back in the day. Maybe the players today are a little faster and stronger and bigger. They seem to be. But violence is violence and hits are hits. And it was a normal day with the Raiders every day in camp for a brawl to take place. That was just like going and getting some water. People fighting. It's just the way it is. And they seem like they really hold that back now. And the kickoffs are structured now where there's not as much violence and high intensity hits running down because most of the kick They've moved it up a little bit, so most of the kicks are going out of the end zone and things like that. So it's still a brutal sport. Those guys are intense. They're playing the game the way the game is intended to be played. But with all these different injuries, especially with the CTE stuff going on in the NFL, they've had to throttle back and try to protect those guys a lot more. Either NFL or in college as well, do you have a favorite football moment in your career? I've got so many. My senior year, we were number one in the country most of the year. And late in the season, we lost to USC in a close game. And we ended up going to the Orange Bowl. We were the first Pac-12 team to ever go to the Orange Bowl. At USC, went to the Rose Bowl. We played Oklahoma. And this is back when the Boz was playing and Switzer was the coach and they had all these big characters on the team and Nobody thought we had a chance. We ended up beating Oklahoma. I happened to catch kind of the winning diving catch in the end zone with a couple minutes to go to take our team ahead. So you remember your first play and you remember your last play. And I happened to have a great play then. And then I went from kind of a hardcore, very regimented, very disciplined system at the University of Washington with Don James. And then I go down to the Raiders. You know, it's Al Davis. And I was there. I was kind of part of the new blood that came in. And there was still a lot of those 1983 holdovers from the Super Bowl. Marcus Allen, Jim Plunkett, Cliff Branch. Matt mm. Millen, Lyle Zeta, Howie Long, Lester Hayes, Henry Lawrence. I mean, all these legends. And every Thursday night, they had a camaraderie night. It was going out, creating a lot of mayhem, a lot of drinking. And that's the way that we bonded back in the day. And it was great. I loved it. Those guys took me in. <laughs> we are talking to former NFL receiver and Emmy Award winner for searching for the summit, Mark Patterson. When you look at everything that's happened in your life, everything has come to then and now. In your career in football, what stood out the most and what stands out more than ever now your life being at 60 years old? 
I know you probably see it differently, but I don't see myself as doing anything special from the standpoint of all these things I've gone after. I've gone after for the right reasons. I love playing football. I was that kid that was a gym rat. Like you talk to any of my buddies from way back when, when I was in eighth grade, I was always in the playground. I was always on that play field. I always had a ball in my hand. I was shooting hoops when nobody was else there. I was always that gym rat. And that just kept accelerating me through these different levels that I kept going to from high school into college and college into pro. And I just had a relentless mindset to keep going. And then I started mountain climbing and the same thing. Rather than look at all seven and being overwhelmed by that, I really focused on one mountain at a time. What do I need to do? And when was that? What are the logistics? How do I get there? How is this going to be different? And then because the kind of compilation of these different things, then came the film. The film was the film and we had executive producers. But again, at the core of it, I was doing what my true love was. I wasn't doing this for a award. I wasn't doing this to get more Instagram followers. I was doing this because of the love of the game of climbing and doing things and being physical. I saw this movie not too long ago it had to do with the guy who invented snowboarding and he got to 60 and everybody's like god you've, you've accomplished so much and they said why don't you slow down just really taste the fruits of your labor and he said well maybe all you guys need to accelerate and catch up and that's <laughs> kind of the way i feel i'm going down to jackson hole next weekend and i'm climbing this mountain called the grand very technical it's scary looking rock it's going straight up tied in climbing up the rock face i'm training for that because then i'm flying over to chamonix france in in, in september i'm climbing mount blanc which is the highest mountain in the Alps. And then I'm going down into Switzerland in a little town called Germont. And there's the famous and infamous Matterhorn. Mm. And so that's going to be intense. I just want to keep setting these goals and going after it. It gives me up. My greatest joy is I get up every single morning with my hands in the air, like Yahoo, yippee, I'm ready to go. And I get out there and I get after it for an hour and a half. And then I work all day at Sports Illustrated and we transform that too. I've taken the exact same principle, that pyramid of success of what I was talking about, like all those fine little details and do it with a passion and a purpose. And it's amazing at what can transpire. When we took over Sports Illustrated three years ago now, they were an old brand. It was tired. It was worn out. And we've elevated Sports Illustrated now to number five in the rankings in terms of the online presence. ESPN's number two. We're right behind CBS. And so we've gone from being completely irrelevant to very relevant. And we'll continue to climb up this year. I think we're going to end up at number three. And it's really cool. It's the same thing. It's the same principle. You're involved with also two foundations, one of which helps support epilepsy and honor your daughter. So wishing her all the best as well. And also veterans higher ground. Describe to the fans how they can support those causes. They're kind of rolled up into one, but my daughter does have epilepsy. By the way, she has not had a seizure in a year and a half. And it's almost been a miracle in many different ways. I think it's through the empowerment of some of these things that I've done, which have kind of put her up on a pedestal as a spokesperson that have helped in part to get her over the hump of having these different daily seizures that she would have. I partner with a company here and a nonprofit here in, in Sun Valley called Higher Ground. And they do spend a lot of time bringing in a lot of veterans. It's all about that word empowerment. It's getting them to go fly fishing and mountain bike riding. You know, a lot of these guys are damaged with their legs were blown off or they've got some PTSD and things like that. And they've lost their confidence. So getting them back out in nature and doing different things has really helped them along. And so you can find out more about me, about my journey. You can find the movie. I also have a podcast called Finding Your Summit. It's all at MarkPattisonNFL.com. You can check that out. You can check out into my social at MarkPattisonNFL. You can go there and you can see the links to Higher Ground if you want to make a donation. 
Union, great cause, great organization. Everything goes 100% directly to them. A lot of fun, very gratifying in this whole journey to originally start out about me and then transition it to how can I reshine that light on other people? I would like to help you with that. I'll definitely get people to absolutely donate money to that great cause. We really appreciate you. Somebody like you, people should look up to because you look at all the great things you've done and the things that you have moved forward in your life, not even as a football player, but everything that you've done, you try to be the best at what you do. And that's something everybody should want to do and be like. And I'm one of those guys too with radio and everything like that. And I just read a little bit about you with Sports Illustrated. That's unbelievable. You're a big part of the growth of Sports Illustrated. It's unbelievable. Sports Illustrated is a known magazine. It's a magazine at one point that was flustered and it wasn't where it needed to be. And now it's starting to grow again and it's getting back on that top five scale. So that has a lot to do with you. And that shows everybody, if you put your heart and soul into everything that you do, you'll be able to bring that to the being the best at what you can be. So we really appreciate you. We'll stay in touch. I definitely would like to talk more about everything that you're doing. I think you're an amazing man, Mark. And a person like you is somebody that I strive to be as a radio guy and as an entertainer. So I really appreciate everything that you've done and really appreciate you joining us tonight. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Love what you guys are doing. Bring guys like me on your show to share our stories. And there's always something bigger. It should be bigger, at least on my mind, about why you get into certain things and just being open to change and possibilities. And it's amazing what you can accomplish. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Very well said. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Take care, guys. Mark Patterson, ladies and gentlemen, what a fantastic, fantastic man. You listen to the stories that he has. Everything that this man does and he touches turns to gold. It's fantastic. It's a great story. So many great stories. A legend for what he has done playing five years of NFL football and then doing the things that he did, climbing all these different mountains, what he's doing for Sports Illustrated. Absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, and you talk about that kind of feat in itself. Seven summits, the seven tallest mountains in the world. It's enough of accomplishment to do one of those mountains. Nevertheless, do all seven in a seven-year span like he did is an absolutely rare and impressive feat, and he's got a lot of great stories to go along with it. And shout out to him with all the work he's done for all those different foundations yep. as absolutely. well. Doing a lot of great things. His throughout. daughter's foundation. Definitely doing a lot of great things in so many different walks of life and all around the world, too. He's even going to Mont Blanc coming mm-hmm. up soon, too, right in France. Mm-hmm. And going all over the world and impacting so many people in a positive way. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Money Line Mania. We'll be back after this. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Beatty. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Very, very happy. Chaz is healthy. Everybody's moving and grooving as we call this segment Moneyline Mania. This is Moneyline Mania with Chaz and the crew. Chaz, what's going on, Chaz? Well, you know, guys, when you wake and bake to start the day, and I'm talking about figuratively and literally today, it's a good day. And so I'm sitting around all weekend now waiting to uh, play these guys' picks. I mean, I got Hector gave me 
soccer, and then Blackhawk West gave me CFL, which we'll cover here. Mo from the Mo Radio Show gave me some preseason stuff. And then Mohammed from 151 Sports Investing, we talked some futures. You know, because you put together shows, it's hard. The timing and stuff, well, this is my first show in six months, and I'm out of shape, I'm not going to lie to you. I forgot with the last guy, Mohammed from 151 Sports Investing, I forgot to put the stopwatch up. And as you know, I'm not afraid to talk, and, and these guys are all great handicappers and very interesting people. So we're talking, and we're talking, and we're talking, and we're talking, and we're talking. And then I realized, let's go to break. And then uh, at break, I'm telling them, I don't have any idea how long we just talked for. I really had no idea. So then I put the stopwatch on for the second segment. But this morning, I let them know that, oh, yeah, by the way, the entire second segment is gone because we were well over with your first segment. But we did cover some great NCAA. And then what will happen is, you know, it, it shows up on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network on Sunday. And then by Monday or Tuesday, I get it up on Sports Betting Weekly. I like to have it up there. And that's more for the transparency. I've always told people the transparency on Gambling Twitter, for lack of a better phrase, is non-existent. With us, every single guy that's ever been on our show, every show since 2014 is on our website. So if you don't think we're good, that's your opinion. We know our bank accounts, and we know how much we tickets we cash, and that's all that matters to us. When's Bo coming back on? He hasn't been on in a while. I think once football season gets up, uh, the timing for this segment is just hard on everybody right now. It should get better once football I starts. Think, I'll think, give you an example. John from GMF Sports, Yeah, he's a proxy in Vegas for those contests that we talked about. So right. he every Saturday morning and Sunday morning, he's meeting people that are coming into Vegas just to sign up for the contest. You know, it's a 1500 to some of them $5,000 contest. I mean, we're talking about a lot of money. So that's got to take priority. And then what happens is every single week, that proxy is responsible for putting in the play. So it's a job. It's not hanging around the casino. It's yeah, a job. I, th- I think Mo was on the second week ever of Moneyline Mania. I think yep. that was the conference championship week in the NFL. And it hasn't yep. been on since. And then John from GMF was on only the one week at the beginning of the baseball season. And I still talk to him every week. Actually, with John from GMF and Wes, it's probably every day. All right, let's look at what we got. So the first thing we're going to do is going to get the CFL out of the way. But here's the thing, guys. This is the first week for Moneyline Mania that it's all football. Mm-hmm. And I personally could not be more excited. It's not that I don't like baseball. I just feel that baseball is. And the word I use is a strong word, but I'm going to use it anyway. Boring. It's just hard for me to watch. I love it. Live action to baseball. I forget who it was, but I bet the over because it was it was a slow game and I thought it was going to be more high scoring. And then in, in one inning, the teams one team scored six runs and I won two bets in like one inning. Nice. So that part I like about baseball. But otherwise, if you give me a choice between football and baseball, I'm taking football every single day of the week. And this game starts 10 p.m. So right as we get off the air here, this is CFL. Saskatchewan at the Edmonton Elks. Now, for those of you that know me, you realize I went through all of 2021 calling them Sask because I was struggling to say Saskatchewan. But now I'm able to say Saskatchewan so much that my wife actually told me the other day, stop saying Saskatchewan because <laughs> I was just saying it to say it because I could. I was so proud of myself. So what we've got here is we've got two teams that are, are kind of in the middle of, of the road here. As a matter of fact, this 
is a real important time of season for this league, the CFL specifically, because of the fact that it's almost halfway through. They're going to play 18 games. Some of these teams have them already under their belt. But we've got Saskatchewan, 4-4. Four and four. So they're in the West. The West is really strong this year. The West has one, two, three, four teams that are 500 or over. Toronto Argonauts are the only team in the East that is 500 or over. They're 500. They're 4-4. Four and four and They got a game-and-a-half lead for first place. So the East is very, very weak. And then Edmonton is the worst team in the division, in the West division. So this is a 4-4 four and four team versus the 2-6 and six team. But I, I don't really look at your record because I don't bet. That's not true. I bet some. Our money line mania bet involves the straight bet. So I do sometimes bet them, but when I look, I'm looking at the spreads. Sask has lost three straight against the spread. They've given up 30, and then they gave up 31, and then they gave up 32. As a matter of fact, we talked about the fact that Edmonton is a pretty bad team. You know, they're 2-6, and six, but they give up a, a lot of points, too. So they had three times. And this is this season. So there are eight games. They had Three times the team scored at least 20. So the least amount of points they have given up in any game is 24. Well, you know, 24 is right on the edge, guys, where you're not winning, right? A lot of football games, if you're giving up 24 points, you're going to lose a few. You're going to win a few, but you're going to lose a few. Well, that's the least they give up. Three times, 20 points or more. Twice it was 30 or more. Twice it was 40 or more, and it was almost 60 once because the first game of the year, they got 59 thrown up on them. 59 points, so it was almost 60. So, yeah, so I like the over in this game. Wes likes the Rough Riders, and I can see why he likes Rough Riders because the Elks are terrible at home. They have scored 7, 6, and 10 points at home, and that's that's the reason I'm a little hesitant on betting the over in this game because of the fact that I'm not sure if we're going to get any points from Sask, but then I look and I, I see that we're not sure if we're going to get points from Edmonton, but the Rough Riders are giving points. So I'm going to hop on Wes's play with the Riders, and I'm adding the over. So I'll have the Riders and the over and the parlay. If I hit just one, and I get a couple of my bucks back, if I hit both of them, I'm going to cash a few tickets. So that is the CFL play. Compliments of Blackhawk West at 151 Sports Investing. So you're saying you're hoping for a smooth bet on a Rough Riders? There you go, baby. Saskatchewan. There you Saskatchewan. go. Saskatchewan. It's just, Loud and it's proud, Chas. Well, it's a pretty name, too, isn't it? I'm yes. assuming it's got to be uh, native well, Canadian. Yeah. God bless him. Okay, so now we're on to preseason football. So as you know, if you bet preseason football, sometimes they'll call you names, right? You've heard that. Have you not heard people say this guy's a derelict? He bets he'll even bet preseason football. <laughs> One of our callers, Jeff, he calls yeah. himself that all the time. Not because of preseason yeah. football, just because of sometimes his crazy bets. Being a derelict has nothing to do with preseason football. You could be a derelict any way you want. Sure. <laughs> There's a lot of ways to be a derelict. But that's not how the Vegas sportsbooks treated because in the old days, it was hard to get lines on these games. Now you're getting lines on the first quarter. So you know they're, they're treating it with the respect and people are betting it. And it's mostly because, again, there's been no football since the Super Bowl, so everybody's itching. And, and CFL just doesn't have, down here, south of the border, it doesn't have the power that it does north of the border. We love it, but not as many uh, Americans do as we do. So let's look at the first game. It is Dallas at Denver, 9 o'clock, so right as we get off the air, right? Mm-hmm. You might want to have us on and then, you know, grab your phone to 
depending on where you're listening, and open up another window so you can get a bet in on this game. But last year, Dallas actually played in the Hall of Fame game. They didn't really stink normal, which would be an 0-3, because they only played three preseason games now. They stunk bad because they were 0-4. Not only 0-4 straight up, they were 0-4 against the spread. As a matter of fact, it was August 9th, so almost a year anniversary. 18, so it's a three-year anniversary. That is the last time that Dallas scored more than 16 points in a game for a second time. In, in those 11 games since August 9th of 2018, that's a long time ago. That's pre-pandemic. They've only scored more than 16 points once. Well, we talked about 24 points. Well, if you score 16 points in the NFL every single game, if that's your average, I don't know. What are you going to win? Three games, maybe? Sounds about maybe. right, especially in an offensive league, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Last year, Denver was 3-0 on the field, but only 1-2 against the spread. But they allowed 12 or less in their last five preseason games. Plus, Denver's got a new quarterback. But here's the thing with preseason. I'm not betting first quarters. Like Mo from the Mo Radio Show, he's betting first quarter, so he talked about who's starting and finding teams that are going to play their starters, right, right. for more yeah. than one or two series. Yeah, that's not what I do. I'm looking to bet the first half in the game, so I'm going with Denver and assuming that Dallas is as pitiful as they are. <laughs> one more stat on the road in their last two, four, six, eight, ten games. Dallas is against the spread record in preseason games is one win, two, four, six, Eight losses and one push. So one eight and one. I'll take that every day of the week. The next game we've got is the Rams at the Chargers. We have talked about the Chargers recently, you and I, Petey, haven't we? Uh, It's always fun to bash the Chargers. Well, again, the belief on my end is it's the curse of the Spanoses. And as long as that family owns the team, they will never, ever sniff anything. They're not even sniffing their football. Yeah, they're not even sniffing their own home stadium in this game. This is a home team. That's played in the visiting team's stadium. I think that pretty much sums it up. They're the third team um, of L.A. There's more Raiders fans in L.A. than Chargers fans. Is, that is true. Well, and, and even when they were here, and you were mentioning it when we talked the other time about their history of failure, the other team would have sometimes more than half the stadium. Charger fans were so non-existent, they would sell their season tickets. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was pretty brutal. Yeah, that sounds right. All right, so what do we got with the Rams? Last year they were 0-3, 2-1 against the spread. Chargers were 1-2 last year, 2-1 against the spread. But, but one thing that's jumping out at me is there's a lot of unders. So the Rams, they're not scoring points. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 games they've scored more than 20 once. And they have given up. The Chargers have given up points. So I don't know which way to go on this. I'm not going to bet this game big. But I am talking about it because it's 10 o'clock. So it's on an hour after we get off the air here. I like the under, but I don't know if you guys have noticed the trends in the first half dozen games or so. They've all gone over. I'm going to stick with the under here. I am assuming that if they score early and they score a couple touchdowns early, don't be afraid to hop on live action under. However, that doesn't always work because yesterday the Arizona game was one of those games for me. And I finally said, okay, that's enough. They scored a bazillion points, and I was betting the under, so that doesn't always work out. And then They're finally, raving about their undrafted quarterback. It's funny because when you're talking preseason, you don't know who's going to play. You don't know how long. And then you've got these, all these, you know, 27 guys that aren't going to be on the roster. 
playing hard. They're good football players. You could be a good football player and not an NFL player. Right. That's the bottom line. And they'll bounce around. They might end up in the CFL, and they might end up doing your show on Loudmouth, right? <laughs> oh, sure. We see a lot of yeah. Who will be the new Cordero Patterson? What position yeah. will he play? What team will he be on? Exactly. Then you got all the, the top draft picks. Maybe they're the next coming of Barry Sanders or whatever the name you want to use there. Or maybe they're not. Or maybe they get hurt. It really is a crapshoot. But I've done pretty well early in the season with it. And I'll bet preseason all the way until the college football starts. So I normally will not bet the last game of preseason. Remember, when it was four games, the third game, you got the starters, right, for usually the first half. And then the fourth game, they didn't even wear a helmet. They went out there in shorts and a T-shirt. It was basically a walkthrough for the yeah. remaining yeah. guys that were right on the brink of the roster cuts. Right, exactly, exactly. And you know, don't get me wrong, you got to go from 80 to 53. It's a big, important day in those guys' lives. So Sunday, 425 Eastern Time, Minnesota at the Raiders. Now, if you saw the Raiders uh, step, they have done very, very well in preseason recently. As a matter of fact, when they won the Hall of Fame game, it made them 7-0 and at home in their last seven preseason games. Of course, some of those weren't in Las Vegas. So, you know, we have that easy sports data. We have every single team, every single game, preseason, regular season, playoff. We have every single first quarter, every single first half. Every single second half at every single game, we have every single data, every single point spread. It's just an incredibly valuable tool. And it's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm so successful is because I put in the, the math to do the effort. But it wasn't until this year that we finally switched it. So last year, if you bought that data, it said Oakland. It didn't say Las Vegas because there's a lot As of work going be. through. Yeah, exactly. I agree with you 100%. But there's a lot of work going through eight years of data for the NFL when they play as many games as they do to fix all the Oaklands and turn them into Las Vegases, but we did that. So last year, Minnesota was 0-3 in the preseason, 1-2 against the spread, and Vegas was 2-1, 1-2 against the spread, but Vegas won for us last week, and we are going to come back with Vegas again this week. So, the way we're looking at it is we've got Sask in the over in the CFL, then we've got Denver, the under in the Rams and Chargers, and Las Vegas. It's a five-teamer, and here's what I tell people. If I tell you I've got a parlay, you can guarantee yourself that I've bet them straight. If you don't bet every single team you have straight in a parlay, you're really, really stupid because parlays are hard to win. They're very important, though, because when you're perfect, they pay such a high reward for your perfection that you have to put a couple ducats on there. But if I say I have a team in a parlay, not only do I have them straight, I have them straight for the first half or in baseball, the first five innings, even though some books will not allow you to parlay the first five innings. And so then what happens is the game kicks off or tips off or whatever, first pitch, whatever your sport you're betting, that's what you really, if you're a good sports better, you have to pay attention. Sometimes guys, you're wrong. Sometimes you're right. When you're right, you could sometimes win even more money. An example is uh, an over game where you like the over and they start scoring right away. Maybe by the third inning, they're looking at they've already cashed the first five inning total. That's when I'm going to keep going live. And I had a situation. It was in Colorado, which, of course, in Colorado, over bets in baseball, they're hard to win because it's 12 and 13. But the teams combined for four ninth-inning runs because I was losing. Not only did I win my 10.5 and 11.5 that were live bets, 
I won the 12 and a half. That was the game bet. So it came all the way back and covered for the game, and I won all the live actions, and I ended up hitting seven over bets. You'll usually lose the last one, right? Because you keep betting and betting, you're going to lose. It's the same thing with a trend. The last but not that game. I won every single one. So that's what I would remind people that somebody says to me, I want to be a good sports better. What should I do? I would say don't start. My first <laughs> bit of advice, don't start. You think love breaks your heart? Man, you could go through 14 lovers and it won't break your heart as bad as sports betting will. I just have a quick fantasy note because you brought up Coors Field. It was actually pretty funny that you mentioned the altitude and what the offense does to you. One of my fantasy baseball teams, I'm tied for first, and I have Miles Michaelis on that team. i never seen a, a pitcher do so bad in fantasy. He got minus 29 points because he'll have yeah. 10 runs there. Think about it. What was the line on the Boston Yankees game? I think it was 9.5, 8.5, 9.5, somewhere around there, maybe 10. It's 20. 12 and a half, 13 and a half sometimes in Colorado. So you feel for those pitchers. Yeah, 10 and a half right now. Yep. Gentlemen, that's about all I got. Well, let's hope you catch up on your CFL picks. This will be your chance to take the lead on Wes. I heard you evened up with him. I'm going to not ever complain about being behind Wes in the CFL because I, I told you, here's how it works with CFL. I make my plays, he makes his plays. I look at his plays and I adjust my plays accordingly. I'm telling you, I do that. I may not necessarily... Like in the beginning of the year, there was a couple times where he was wrong and I was right. I won't necessarily not make those bets, but I don't go crazy betting large amounts because in the back of my mind, I got Wes saying the other team. These next three or four weeks of the CFL important because I have more confidence in the CFL than I do in preseason. But college football fun, and we'll be talking mostly West Coast college football. Whatever's left of the Pac-12. Right. Whatever's left, exactly. We'll be talking the late games, and don't get me wrong, we'll be talking some Hawaii games. That's another Darylis. Preseason and the Hawaii game. If you talk about those things, yes, you may be a derelict sports better. I always like watching Hawaii at night. They always have a good personality coach, and they always play fun's brand of football over there. Plus, wherever you are in the country, it's still light out there because it's like six hours from you guys. And there's nobody in the stands because it's Hawaii. (laughs) Why would you go to a football game? You're in Hawaii. You go to the ocean, you go to the mountains, volcanoes, but they do have an open, they've had some incredible quarterbacks over the years, have they not? Wow. One last question, just on that note. What do you think has a higher percentage Hawaii fans in Hawaii football games or Chargers fans at Chargers football games I'm gonna lean the pros because I have seen the stands at the Chargers games and and at least there's some people and and, and a lot of times the Hawaii game you're actually seeing the seat the color oh, of the yeah. seat you there know you what go. I mean? now the Chargers are playing the Rams too you're not gonna get many fans from either side there if any indication yeah, of the no, Rams Super Bowl parade to watch that game tonight in terms of how it works it'll be half when, LA fans and half fans just wanting to visit that stadium how hard has it got to be because everybody is talking up to Chargers right I don't know if you've seen oh it oh my god Errol is thinking about them as being a potential Super Bowl pick exactly and and I'm laughing because you come out of your tunnel in a stadium that ain't yours and you're getting booed at a home game, how does that not help your psyche? That's got to crush it. Uh-huh. All right, gentlemen, until next week, let's uh, always be cashing. Money line mania, ladies and gentlemen, they are fantastic. As Chaz give you the best in handicap betting, as always, they're awesome. They have been hitting on almost 90% of their picks. There are a couple of duds, but they've been fantastic, really been fantastic. And thank you for the time, as they're very busy guys, as they got to keep betting and making money 
for everybody and themselves. When we come back, Speedy, we're going to get into Kevin Durant here on the Weekend Crutch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. We are the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World's Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app and go on iOS, WWSRN, or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Why is Kevin Durant still in the media and news? Hmm. Why is Kevin Durant drive me out of control? I can make a song about this. Why could Kevin Durant just fly away to another team? Let's call it fly away, okay? I don't know, but I I can tell you this. Kevin Durant was asked to come and talk to ownership uh, a couple of weeks ago. And ownership wanted to kind of clean up the problems that they're having on and off the court with Kevin Durant. And they wanted to see what would keep Kevin Durant in Brooklyn. And Kevin Durant pretty much said, no more Steve Nash and no more Sean Marks. And I don't know what ownership said, but everything that we've read, ownership said, no, no, no. So what does that tell you about Kevin Durant right now? Kevin Durant is demanding things. He believes he is in control of what this team does and what this team should be moving forward. The same Kevin Durant that has done nothing, absolutely zilch, since he's come to the Brooklyn Nets. As a matter of fact, he's been more hurt than healthy. He has taken a four-year, $193 million contract, guaranteed money, and now telling the Nets to trade him. If I was a Brooklyn Nets fan, which I'm not, and I traded away my future for James Harden, who's now with the 76ers, I decided to part ways with Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, Allen, one of the best young coaches in the NBA, who's now with the Golden State Warriors, which, by the way, won a championship last year, who decided not to take the Charlotte Hornets jobs, which only tells me, and it's fitting to me, where he's probably going next year after the Knicks have another losing season. What it tells me, these three idiots, and I mean the three stooges of the NBA, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and Ben Simmons, are fitting playing on the same team together. Three Dumb, unusual personalities, talented but stupid, who can't get along with coaches, as we know with Ben Simmons, with Doc Rivers, Kyrie Irving going all different places, getting so many coaches fired, and Kevin Durant with Oklahoma City had a problems with Billy Donovan at the end. He leaves there. He goes to Golden State. He's had his issues with Steve Kerr. And then goes to the Brooklyn Nets. They decide to part ways with Atkinson. I wonder why. And now he doesn't like Steve Nash. Get rid of him. He's horrible. It is fitting why three of these players are playing on the same team and nobody wants them. Nobody wants them and nobody's going to continue to want them at the rate this is going. The longer this drags out, I don't know if any side will get their way at this point. Kevin Durant wanted to, about a month ago, go to either the Miami Heat or the Phoenix Suns. Then there was a rumor that Steph Curry was trying to lure him back to Golden State. How true was that? Who knows? But those three teams, championship caliber teams, Warriors obviously just winning. The other two teams just lost in the NBA Finals in recent years. 
Now, the most likely cause might be the Celtics, but now we're also hearing the Sixers. And the Celtics might be the last chance for the Nets to get anything viable for Kevin Durant. The 76ers, he didn't want to play with James Harden. He had issues with James Harden in a short stint, allegedly. And the Sixers, outside of Tyrese Maxey, doesn't have a lot to trade to the Nets. So you're really going to dig yourself in a deep hole if that ends up being the case. And is Kevin Durant going to be happy playing with James Harden again? I don't know about that. But that might come to the point where it is for both of them. And Kevin Durant, he might not be happy based on that and might force his way out right away. So who knows at this point what's going to end up happening with where he goes and how long he'll even stay with his next team at this rate. And the Nets, they started out with these unrealistic offers and now they're going to watch it go down more and more. I think to the point where they're going to have to wait until the trade deadline. I don't think he'll end up getting traded at all. He might end up getting stuck. He won't play. He's going to end up holding out because of that. So have fun with Ben Simmons. And you still got to pay him. Just like Ben Simmons got paid. I was going to say, have fun with Ben Simmons being your second best player that can't shoot. Good luck with that. Next. Second best player, Kyrie might not be there much longer because right. he. you've heard his contract disputes. He says that he wants to sign his extension and he only wants to play 60 games. He will not play back-to-back games. How many players want a max contract? I haven't heard this before in my life. Demanding that he only wants to play 60 games a season and he doesn't want to play back-to-backs. So what are the Nets going to do? Go to the schedule committee and said, nope, all right, we want all our games in perfect <laughs> pattern so there's no back-to-backs ever. Yeah, good luck. Hey, Kyrie Irving, he is an interesting guy, man. He is a talented guy. If I was the NBA, I would never put him in the Hall of Fame because I like Kyrie. No. He comes from Duke. This guy is a selfish man. I love what he said when he did it on Instagram, and I stuck up for him, and I thought he was great. Sticking up for his needs and his thoughts to COVID and not taking the vaccination, wonderful. But did he do it for the right reasons, or he was just trying to prove a point? Because he's in control. Mm. Kyrie is in control. Looking less and less legitimate. Honestly, the guy's a joke. Uncle Drew, whatever you want to call yourself. I call you a fairy tale or something. You're a joke. Commissioner of the Flat Earth NBA. He's a joke. This whole team is a joke. A laughing stock of the NBA. Everybody thought the Knicks were a laughing stock. The Knicks are like gold right now to the NBA. You kidding me? All those ex-New York fans cheering for Brooklyn fans, they're going to come right back to the Knicks. Why would fans. (laughs) Why would they be cheering for this team? Are you really going to be cheering for Ben Simmons, who didn't want to play last year? Or Kyrie Irving? who didn't want to play last year, and Kevin Durant didn't want to play last year? I've never seen this before. This is a joke. I mean, at least Ben Simmons won't be missing any shots if he doesn't play. Why do you think James Harden wanted to get out of there? Come on. James Harden's looking more and more legitimate than ever before. I don't know if I would go that far. I'm telling you. (laughs) Think about it now. Why did James Harden want to get out of there? Just think about it. It's, it's fair. I'm just saying James Harden's decision-making hasn't even been the greatest. Either. Now Kevin Durant wants to go to the 76ers. I'm sure James Harden's telling the coaching staff and management, you do not want that guy here. The 76ers <laughs> might become the Nets if that's the case, too. So I don't know, Philly, if you're going to want to go that's down that, that road. That's Embiid's team. They're not going to bring Kevin Durant in there. It'd be too many personalities there. Embiid's enough of a personality there. To bring a guy as selfish as Kevin Durant there, it wouldn't work. James but, Harden, he's more of a follower. He's not a leader. Kyrie is a leader. Kevin Durant are leaders. These guys are leaders. They'll do whatever you want, and you either follow them or you don't. James Harden was a third option in the playoffs at this point. So imagine if Kevin Durant's there, he'd be like a fifth option at that point. I think James Harden just didn't want to be there anymore. He knew how selfish that team was, and with the players that were there, it was all selfishness, and he didn't want to play for them. 
And he's happy right there with Doc Rivers. I'm not a big Doc Rivers fan, as everybody knows. It's a joke. It's fitting right now where the Brooklyn Nets are. They thought trading away pieces and Sean Marks was doing all the right things and they made all the wrong moves. Mm -hmm. And now his foot's out the door, uh, not because of Kevin Durant, just because ownership is just tired of him. But now even more because of Kevin Durant, too. I mean, you're making an ultimatum at this point. Either trade me or fire those guys to make it happen. not going to do that. But it seems like Nets ownership is not siding with the player. So in that case, uh, goodbye, Kevin Durant, whenever that does end up happening. But goodbye, Kevin Durant on the court if he ends up holding out on the rest of the team. When we come back, Speedy, what do we got? Crunch time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Speedy Petey, I love this segment as we do this every single week. We call this... Crunch time! It's time for crunch time! I was humming there. I was. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're going to start this week with the NFL preseason underway. We're going to start with the most bizarre streak in the NFL right now. The Ravens have won 20 straight preseason games. Actually, now 21 because they just won their first one this week. By or sell, they will continue that streak with their final two games at Arizona and against the Washington Commander. I will sell that, okay? Because I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to buy it. Why not? I, I think the Ravens death ball that they have right now, it, it definitely, well, they prepare themselves well. Washington, they have a lot of things to go in Arizona. Who cares? Not... They didn't make the playoffs last year. Get into the playoffs. Injuries kept a lot of that from happening. Mm. They had no three running backs. They had no three top corners out, too, which I think hurt them even more. So I'm actually going to buy that one. I think they, they continue that one. All right, buy or sell. The Padres will surpass the Braves and the Mets and finish with the second best record in the National League. I'm going to sell it. I, I don't think they will. This whole Tatis thing is going to definitely shadow them and affect them moving forward this season. They'll make the playoffs, but they're not going to pass the Mets. They're not going to pass the Braves, so I'm going to sell it. Originally, I was going to buy this, but now with the Tatis suspension now, too, I'm going to definitely sell that at this point. The Mets are going to go cold at some point. They're not going to play as hot as I, they I agree with you. for long, but I, I think they'll surpass the Braves. I think the Braves, they strike out a lot. They're not situationally hitting the same way they were last year, but I don't think they surpass the Mets at this point now without Tatis, so I am going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. Donovan Mitchell will not be traded in the month of August. I'm going to buy it. I think that it's going to happen, but it will happen at the last minute. A lot of the experts that we had on the show have been saying that they're going to wait and they're going to try to get as much as they can and skim the Knicks as much as they can. I'm going to sell it. I think it'll be within the next two weeks. Danny Ainge will have to come down at some point. I can't see it lasting into September at this point. Danny Ainge just being too unrealistic. They can't expect seven first-round picks for a player. And I do think there could be another three-way trade option like we heard with the Lakers last week. So I am going to sell that. All right, buy or sell. The Buccaneers lost Ryan Jensen, their top offensive lineman for the season. They will not be a top two seed in the NFC because of that. I'm going to sell that because Tom Brady likes to release the ball quicker. He knows his players. He knows the offense. They're going to run his offense, and I think that's going to benefit him. It doesn't matter who the offensive line is going to be. Tom Brady knows what he's doing, and Tom Brady has always been successful 
by doing it. And this guy's a veteran who's won how many Super Bowls? So let's be honest with each other. So I am going to sell that. I believe they'll be a top two team. I am going to buy it because only because they're scheduled, though, too. Because you got the factor in they play the NFC West. They also have to play the AFC North. And that's going to be very hard. And also Tom Brady, yes, he does have a quick release. But they also lost two other interior offensive linemen, too. That's going to be a lot to adjust to. Alex Kappa went to the Bengals. And Ali Marpet retired, too. So it's not just Jensen. So I think there's a lot of factors to go in. I think they'll be still tough out in the playoffs. And again, Todd Bowles is also their coach, too. So oh, who knows? Too. So I'm actually going to buy that. I think they'll be number three. All right, buy or sell. Max Scherzer will finish with an ERA under two right now at 1.98. I'm going to sell that. I think he'll get into a spot where he's not going to be that dominant. I think there'll be a couple of weeks where he's not pitching as well as he is, but he's been fantastic. Everybody thought he was going to be fantastic when the Mets moved him, but I think they overpaid him, but that's just my opinion. But if they win a World Series, who cares? So I'm going to sell that. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. I think it'll be hard for them to keep up that kind of pace this late in the season. I know the, the sample size with the starts, it's easier for them to go down if he has one more dominant start, but it's also the same way easier to go up too. And I also don't think he'll go as long as games all the time. They're going to try to limit his innings, which means the ERA will, will drastically change a lot faster. So I am going to sell it as well. Buy or sell, one hockey one. The Islanders will land Nazem Kadri. I think it's probably going to happen. They're right now looking to trade JP. Pajot. So once they got the trade for Pajot, because they were looking for an offensive winger, I think Cadre knows that the Islanders are interested in him. I know that he believes that the Islanders are going to give him the extension. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell it. I actually think Detroit is going to overpay for him at this point. We've seen them be very active this offseason. They brought an ex-Ranger, Andrew Kopp, who I wanted the Rangers to keep. They also brought in David Perron. I think they realize these young players are getting it going. Now they're starting to spend and think they're a contending team. I think they're going to overpay slightly and end up getting him, stealing him from Colorado. So I'm actually going to sell that. All right, buy or sell. Kevin Durant will be traded to the 76ers. I'm going to sell it. It's not going to happen. There's no way Harden's going to let that happen. Why would he leave there and want to leave there if Kevin Durant was still there? It doesn't make sense. I'm going to sell it. He's not going to 76ers. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. I, I don't think Kevin Durant's getting traded at all at this point before the season starts. I think he'll end up getting traded at the trade deadline to one of those other teams with the rookie issue stipulations where either the Suns or the Heat will, will trade their guys. So I think at that point he'll end up getting traded. I am going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. The Orioles will finish the season ahead of the Red Sox. I'm going to buy it. I think the Red Sox stink, even though they beat the Yankees yesterday. I think they stink. They're one of the worst teams in the major leagues, and they're probably going to have a top draft pick the year after. So there you go. I'm going to buy it. I think they finish above the Red Sox. Yeah, I'm going to buy it, too. I don't trust the Orioles necessarily to hold on and make the playoffs. I think the Rays will end up fending them off at that point to steal that spot. But right now, they're currently four games up on the Red Sox. They have two games at hand, too. So I think they have enough leeway to finish that. The Red Sox have all those pitching injuries now, especially with Chris Sale with the motorcycle accident now, too, breaking his wrist. So I'm going to buy that as well. All right, last one. Zach Wilson will play in week one. I'm going to sell it. I think he'll miss the first week play the second week. He'll be out four weeks. I would predict more four weeks, and they'll miss the first week just to get acclimated with the offense and then be back in week number two. So I am going to sell that. I'm going to sell it too. I think what the diagnosis is going to be is probably something in between and then it might take him a while to get back to because like I said on the football segment non-contact injuries sometimes have taken longer just as much as contact injuries for these leg injuries too. I think he'll end up missing a couple games but I don't think he'll end up missing the whole season. It didn't look like an egregious one like you saw with the Dalvin Cook one and the Deshaun Watson one on those particular cuts that they made. I still think it was dumb on his part what he did but definitely the first couple games I am going to sell. He does not play in week one. Well ladies and gentlemen 
gentlemen, that was crunch time. Thank you to Mark Patterson, Emmy Award winner from Searching for the Summit. If you haven't checked E60, definitely got to check out that story. It's a great story, 40-minute story, Searching for the Summit. They won an Emmy for it. It's a fantastic, fantastic story, so definitely check it out. Shout out to uh, Chaz as Moneyline Mania, as our betting part of our show is fantastic. Top end, 79% right now, so they've done fantastic since we brought him on seven months ago so thank you to Chaz and thank god he's feeling better we'll be back next week tune in as we always give you the news and the arguments in sports as we are the voices of long island in sports we are the weekend crunch we'll talk to you next week good night everybody